Hello, it's March 16th, 2021, and I am Aaron with Jump Crouch. This week, we're going to be discussing Sony exclusives coming to the PC, Bethesda's full catalog, more or less, showing up on Game Pass, and we're going to talk about the games we played like Skyrim, Immortals Phoenix Rising, Hitman 3, World of Warcraft, Borderlands 3, Outriders, and more. I've been playing a lot of a lot of Skyrim on the Xbox, and everywhere I go, apparently, I should not have come there. Oh yeah, never should yeah. have come here. Of course, That's yes, I, yes, yes. I heard that line. Played the game for like two hours. I heard that line like twenty times. Yeah. Um, apparently, it's there's true. just nowhere, nowhere I'm allowed to you go. You shouldn't have but, gone there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, hey, what's going on? It is, uh, you know, it's March. Sabado. In, in Los Angeles, the weather is has either been really hot, like it is right now, or really cold, like it was last night. Um, but, you know, it's a good time to go for a walk, go for a hike. Oren's still shoveling the snow, I presume. No, believe it or not, it's actually pretty warm. What? Is this Does that some, mean like 45 degrees? Sh- sort of. Is this some anti-Montana propaganda from California? No, I love Montana. I, I think that the Pita Pit is the greatest institution in the history of, of uh, <laughs> institutions. Um, there's also that really good burger bar downtown, Bozeman. Uh, I don't know what it's called, though. But they have, like, like they basically like slaughter the cow out back. Yeah. <laughs> it's Montana. It's uh, it's a meat place. It's all about the meat. Yeah. So. It's the Wild West. But, no, I love Montana. I'm just saying, it's March. It's, it's, it's a schizophrenic season here in Los Angeles. Um, and uh, I don't know what it's like up in Santa Cruz, but... Kevin's got so much natural light. Like you could just be like doing photography or like artwork in that, in that apartment of yours. It's just the amount of natural light just spilling into your apartment is kind of, kind of, it actually shines into my face, the sun every morning. Oh, and (laughs) you got a nice alarm clock at 6am. I know that that sounds like a horrible thing, but it's actually amazing to wake up with the sun every day. Yeah. Like on paper, when someone tells it to you, it's on your face, sounds horrible, but it's actually like a really natural, it's a natural wake up, Aaron. It's very natural. That's how Sanders, I wake up. Now I can I say it. that's it's this natural wake up. Um, it's because you go to bed at like, you know, 6 a.m. If yeah, you went to true. bed at, you know, like a normal human being. <laughs> yeah, at 8.30. Yeah, 8.30. That's true. Se- 7 a.m. I eat dinner at 4.30 at the, the diner with the senior discount, and then I yeah. go to bed by 8.30 because, you know, I got a lot of shit to do the next day. Got to get but, my beauty um, sleep. If you have, a, I think, a reasonable sleep schedule of 10, 11, 12, it's nice to get up at 8 in the sun. Shine yeah. For so, me, okay, like my it. window is west-facing. I know this is just mm. all great content. West-facing, uh, I'm sorry, east-facing. And it just, the sun is just like, it's like a furnace. Like, it's just, it's so just a massive I did, amount of light. I, I have someone that slept in that room. I hated it in your room. It was the worst yeah. thing that I could yeah, not It's the it. worst thing. Because it's not here, at like eight or nine. It's, it's through this like ceiling. It's like dimmed enough where it doesn't just destroy you. Makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, I have nice nothing thing. to say about this other than um, when you sleep I, in a cave and I, I sleep in a cave. And when I arise from that cave, it's like it's like what day is it? I just have that uh, Twin Peaks moment, you know, like what year is it? Like, dude, every day, like, every day. That's literally every day for me. It's just. I'm getting to this point in my life where where just everything is becoming more and more dreamlike, where I just wake up and I'm like, what year is it? 
So. You feel like you just came out of a power outlet. Feeling yeah, yeah, I just came out of a power outlet. Uh, speaking to the blind lady. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, you guys are spoiling something, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> one year, we've been one year of, of, of living with this wonderful disease. And so I, I think that definitely contributes to the sort of uh, dreamlike delirium we all find ourselves definitely. floating in. Technically, I just never came back because I told them that the week before we started the work from home ended at my job, I told them I was going to work from home for a day and I'll see you guys next week. And mm. I, still, I never went back. So, <laughs> no, I know. On. Totally. I haven't seen any of my workmates in over a year. And I remember it was like, oh, like I, a lot of people were like, oh, it'll be a couple weeks. Maybe, you know, like you don't really think this is going to last that long. And I did not think it would last a year. And now it looks like I'll be working from home for the remainder of the year. So well, you know, we'll see. You know what's crazy about that is I actually just started a position as a digital content manager, and I'm kind of blown away with how efficient things are getting done virtually. Like, mm-hmm. like yeah. it's like we don't even need to go back to the office. We have a project management app. Uh, we have a messenger app. We, we just have everything set up in a way where it's like it's like the office, but virtual, like it's incredible how much we can get done. Yeah. I mean, I'm pretty fond of working from home. I do miss like leaving the house and interacting with people and being in a, in a, an environment, but I find that I'm much, it's much easier to work to do the kind of work I do right. when there's nobody around to talk to me or make noise or clack on their keyboard. I really think there's loud. a dynamic about being in an office that really for me changes how I, like how I can comfortably sit throughout the day and how I can work throughout the day. And there's just all these distractions around me constantly at work. People walking by, like, well, who's going on? Was like, at home, it's like, plug in and just do it. So it's mm-hmm. much better for me. I'm liking it. Yeah. It's good stuff. Yeah. I hear you. Uh, so let's get into the news of the week. It's More PlayStation news. games are headed to PC. We knew this was going to happen, but now it is, boom, confirmed. Uh, and the first one, it, the first one, definitely the gone. jewel. The jewel of the Sony library. Days gone. The absolute crown jewel that we've all been clamoring for. (laughs) Days gone. But here's what I do know. I do know that like six months ago, Naughty Dog was hiring somebody for PC-specific development with PC-specific experience. So I expect we're going to see some of Naughty Dog's games come to PC, which I think is going to be met really well. Last of Us um, Part Two. It's the one I want. Last of Us Part Two. The rest of them. 120 I can frames per second. Ultra widescreen mouse and keyboard. Yes. I, I am so there. That is yes. that is that is a replay that I that I will love every minute of that. Whenever oh. I think of that game now, it's been long enough that whenever I think about it, I'm like, that was a good game. I like that experience. I want to be in that world again. Completely. So it oh, made yeah. a, a strong impression on me, which I wouldn't have expected, yeah. considering I didn't like the first game. <laughs> yeah. Or the God of War wannabe. It, you know, I didn't like either of those games. So, yeah, they they killed it with that game. <clears throat> it's it's great yeah i mean I the it. naughty dog PC. games would be uncharted 4 is another one that i think would look spectacular uh so we will see what happens I, but first i days gone days gone yeah i'm gonna buy it i'm gonna buy it for two reasons days gone. one one oh, i actually think it looks like a cool game yeah i, I even though I, I it wasn't super well received i think it, it looks like a game that i would enjoy um mm-hmm. and also uh i want to support this initiative for Sony to put more games right. on Steam. Vote with PC. your dollars. With my dollars. So I'm totally yeah. like, keep it up. Port That's every one of your games from this gen, from last gen on PC. <clears throat> I'll be very happy about that. I want Bloodborne. Mm. I'm not holding out for that one, honestly. I think we're not getting that. I don't yeah, think, I don't think that's going to happen. That. But 
That's all but I want from Sony. Two. Like, I don't even yeah. want a freaking sequel announcement or anything. I just want yeah. Bloodborne 60 frames per second. That's all I want. I'll buy a PS5. I'll do it. I swear. Yeah. I don't think, I think Bloodborne deserves to be buried on the PS4 and the crappy no. base PS4. It's such a sad life from <laughs> for it. Yeah, hopefully we're going to talk a little bit more about games being buried on systems in a minute here, but um Silent but Hill awesome 2, news. Silent Hill 2. Oh, is is that a Sony? That's that's a Konami game, right? It's a Konami, but yeah. the only good version that's available is on the PlayStation 2. That's right. That but that game is yep. on PC, but it's like a bad uh, that sucks. That's, yeah. That's such a I've never played any of those games, and I really want to. Um, I played the first game a little bit, but two is and, supposed uh, to be the, the crown jewel. Yeah, that's, that is what I hear. Silent Hill 2 oh. has one of the best stories in video game history, full stop. <laughs> Incredible. Mm. Uh, other news, Bethesda has officially, I guess, sealed the deal with Microsoft and they just put 20 games on Game Pass, or maybe it was more than 20 games. I don't know. They put most of their games on Game Pass, which is awesome. Noticeably absent is um, the new Colossus isn't on there for some reason. Doom 2016 isn't on there for some reason. Yeah, it's Fallout weird. 3 isn't on there for some reason. And the Evil Within Part 2 is also. And I'm assuming that they're maybe doing special stuff to those games. Like maybe those games are going to get a slightly updated. Like they're going to get a little more attention, I'm assuming, because they're Hopefully. because they withheld them yeah um but it's it's like that was like a pretty big value drop onto game pass and it's on pc and console right i believe so yeah 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 i've only been playing it on my xbox but i started playing skyrim on xbox and it's uh so skyrim and a few other games are getting fps boost they're getting their frame rates boosted through some kind of magic uh that they're doing uh, in addition to all the other things that the back pat gets. So I've been playing Skyrim and like it runs in a native 4K at 60 frames per second. It's got good antiscropic filtering. So it's, it's the detail is brought back. It's got good AA. So there's no jaggies. It just, it looks and feels great. It looks better than ever basically. Um, and it's like, it's amazing how much that game holds up in certain ways. The combat as Kevin will tell you is basically horseshit. Some of the, the worst. some of the worst third person <laughs> the combat. Worst. That you can find, but um, but the world is still really enchanting and great, and I think has held up really well, and is is maybe like a good benchmark for open world like design. Like, yeah, I think a lot of those early Ubisoft games just felt like they were clone stamping environments all over the place without a lot of attention to detail. The world in Skyrim feels like a place with different regions, um, and I think the only games that have really done better than that would be like Red Dead Two. Or maybe right. Assassin's Creed Odyssey. It kind of kind of comes close to that level of uh, veracity, but it, it like it still it looks really good now, um, and the music is just so good in that game. Even though it's like cheesy Lord of the Jeremy Rings music, Soleil. it's like really good cheesy Lord of the Rings music. Um, I don't know. I, I I'm just like there's a great game to go play on your Xbox if you've never pl- if you've never played Skyrim like. Like it's worth mentioning that this drop these Bethesda games. Uh, like three of those games would be like my top ten games of the previous uh, decade: yeah. Skyrim, Dishonored, Prey. So really, like heavy hitters. Dishonored two is pretty great too. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to mention about this news is they also said that will someone they were asked will future bethesda games be on other platforms and phil spencer said i want to be explicit about this they're going to be on 
platforms where Game Pass exists. So that is pretty much confirmation Whoa. that we are not going to see Bethesda games on Sony in the future. Which, I mean, I, as someone who is critical of Sony for the past two generations very heavily, I think this still sucks because oh, I think sucks. exclusives just suck for everyone. Like, no one wins in the exclusives except for shareholders for, pub, for big publishers. So, like, this is Fan a Fanboys. Fanboys get to win a lot of internet arguments with those exclusives. They're, they're, they're yeah. looking out for the fanboy because the fanboy needs something, you know? The fanboy needs something in their life to justify those arguments they're getting on, on you know, <laughs> on N4G. N4G. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I just realized mm-hmm. I should probably invest in Microsoft because it seems like they're going to blow up like with this, I mean, they're already blowing up, but with this new deal, might be a good mm-hmm. time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that is really shocking. I didn't know that. I did not know that news. That that I would have put that in the news section of this, uh, this little list here. <laughs> um, like that is yeah. crazy. That means mm-hmm. Doom, whatever the next Doom game isn't going to be on a Sony console. No, nope. that fucking sucks. It <laughs> does. Dude, the sucks. next you know Elder what? Scrolls as well, and Fallout. That's that's oh a my big God. deal. Yeah, this would never happen. But you want to know what, what would be the ultimate power move if they did this? Is if they just took Deathloop away from Sony and they're like, "This is our game mm. now." <laughs> right. <laughs> it would never happen, that, but that would be the yeah. if, if Microsoft yeah. really wanted to show their brass balls. That would that's what they what they would do. So here's something that I have thought considered from this. So Sony seems to be clearly out of this, but will Nintendo ports like this panic button doom and Wolfenstein still happen? I think they will. Microsoft mm. seems to have pretty good will with Nintendo. And mm. I have a feeling that they are pretty for licensing their net, their new like their new games franchises to Nintendo consoles. So I'm curious if that'll hmm. still happen. Cause I, I personally really like, as I call it, Wolfen switch. I don't think doom is good on switch, but I do like Wolfenstein on switch. But Doom um, so, uh, Eternal is actually supposed to be the best of mm-hmm. all the ports. Like, but it's, the, it's the, the last game I'd want to play on this, that 30 FPS. Yeah, of yeah, all of those that's, games, that's, that's like... Yeah, the, the, that game's a little too demanding for It's just Switch. too much, yeah. 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 So, um, yeah, that's a wow. big one. That's crazy. We're, you're you're going to have to link that to me because I'm just like, holy okay. shit. Yeah, send it over. Um, I will say, getting back to this, like, like just playing Skyrim, like, and talking about games being trapped on consoles, it's just awesome to see in a game that's now ten years old, like updated in all the ways you'd want it to be, so that it ha- so that it's you know nothing nothing technologically is holding it back other than its design. Mm-hmm. Um, it's and it, and it, and I think its design holds up reasonably well, except for the combat. It's so it's it's cool. I, give us Red Dead. I feel like that is the crown jewel. There's a little conversation about that in our, in our in our discord channel but like if uh red dead the original you know red dead redemption One, that is yeah like i think that that is going to get the boost it's going to get the back like the full that's going to be amazing and i think yeah. that's it's going to be another one of those games that's been kind of lost in time that's sort of brought back um, yeah i replayed yeah. the first game because i think that game ha- is better in some ways than two not in its mm-hmm. storytelling or its characters but the gameplay i think is probably better in the first game yeah but the second game has arthur morgan <laughs> who's probably I, I'm thinking more about him i think he's probably one of like the greater video game protagonists that i can think of like he's really well mm. characterized so i yeah i i, I want red dead one though yeah Ar- arthur morgan's like the uh he's kind of up there with some of the great protagonists because his character arc says so much about obsolescence the changing times just 
what an epic arc. Yeah. But the first Red Dead, I agree, has I think John Marston just controls better personally. I think yes. Arthur Morgan's <laughs> kind of a giant tank uh, compared to uh, John Marston. So I think the first one's actually yeah. more fun to play. It's much more fun, yeah. And the multiplayer isn't a grind fest, so I actually have to play the multiplayer again. That could be fun. Four hmm. yeah. K sixty FPS. Sorry, is was the zombie thing fun? Um, that wasn't really multiplayer, but the okay. campaign was fun. Yeah, it's like an open world zombie kind of game, which is pretty cool. No yeah. it's, it's it's fun. I liked it. Cool. All right. Well, yeah, Skyrim on back compat is awesome. Check it out if you, especially if you haven't played it. I think uh, you're in for a treat. Speaking cool. of uh, of open world games, where I know we're all big, huge fans of open world games here. None of us <laughs> more so. And my, my dear friend Warren Luck. Uh, tell us about Immortals Phoenix Rising. Uh, I liked it. Can you believe it? It was a good game. I can't. When you said that, I was like, <laughs> what the fuck? Is he trolling me? How like, long is this going to last, Oren? Uh, the next pot, is this going to be a horrible game? <laughs> no, <laughs> no. It'll I be like uh, the Japanese game? Oh, no, because I finished it. Yeah, like uh, this game. I went all out because I had a four-day weekend where like, I just had nothing really to do. So I'm like, I'm going all in on Immortals Phoenix Rising um, because I've never played Breath of the Wild. I've just, I just mm. never, mm. I've played a little bit of it, but I've never gotten into it. So I was, so I was thinking to myself, maybe this one would be um, different enough from your t- traditional open world game where I would like it. And it turns out I liked it. It was really, I, I put about 40, like a little less than 40 hours into it and did most of the side content. And it, what Aaron was saying earlier, there's four or five regions in the game that feel incredibly distinct in a way that does not feel copy and paste. And it feels like the first Ubisoft game that I've played in a long time that does that. And uh, also, uh, I mean, to sell the game to people who've never heard of it, it's basically the Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, but the Ubisoft Greek mythology version. So instead of Zelda, you got Ares, you got Aphrodite, you have all these major Greek gods. And it has the same kind of gameplay as Breath of the Wild, where um, it has a very similar design philosophy because a lot of open world games, and this is part of the reason why I'm so exhausted with open world games these days, is that most of the content you have to activate through quests. Like you have to like start a quest. Like that was one of my biggest criticisms mm-hmm. of the Witcher three, which I, which I love, but the Witcher three, most of the content, you have to initiate a quest. You don't, you can't just explore and find it. You have to talk to somebody who's going to be like, Oh, there's this monster. I need you to kill in this cave. You can't just go to the cave and kill the monster. You have to actually mm-hmm. talk to somebody to activate yeah. it. I hate that too in games. Yeah, and in this one, in this one, it it feels like a true Breath of the Wild open world. Like there's monsters that you can find, there's uh, loot you can find, there's areas you can explore and find just cool stuff. Um, it has that whole design philosophy of just true exploration, and I thought it was really well done. Um, I do have a couple of things that I did not like about the game. Um, first of all, the uh, the it's one of those imagine like a giant burger, a giant 40 hour burger. Um, the meat and like everything inside the burger, like the 30 hours of exploration mm-hmm. is incredible, but it's bracketed by like a really poorly uh, done introduction that's about five hours long. 
and the final six or seven hours are also terrible. But there's like a 30-hour chunk where you're just exploring and upgrading and finding loot and finding cool stuff that's incredible. Um, so overall, I recommend it. Um, yeah, sorry, I just like went on a huge monologue about it because I had so much to say, but uh, uh, Kevin, would no, you man. be interested in, in this? Um, so I am in... I am and I'm not. I played through Breath of the Wild already, so I, I'm not like is interested in it. If I hadn't played Breath of the Wild, I think I would be super into it. But it sounds like I was going to ask you, but you already basically t- talked about it. Was that I was going to say like Breath of the Wild is all about like you see something cool in the distance and you go explore it, and there's something to do. Like it's always that. It's not like, like someone pops up to you and says, "Hey, my house is on fire. Can you help me save my family and grab five pieces of wood?" And then like it doesn't have any of that stuff. It's just like there's just stuff to do. And it's and it's like always new and engaging, and the world feels very alive in that sense. Yeah, so. it's it's really neat. I mean, like I haven't, um, I didn't really experience Breath of the Wild, so I kind of I think that's the reason why I'm so high on this game because I've been kind of, I've been waiting for an open world game to do this for so long, where yeah. you just kind of see something and you're like, oh, that looks like a cool place to go, and you go there and you just find Medusa, you just see mm. you just encounter Medusa. <laughs> And like, does the weapons break every couple hits? No. Okay. <laughs> That's another big thing because um, I know a lot of people hated that about Breath of the Wild. Like, yeah, the uh, there's a true weapon upgrade system that feels rewarding. Um, it does have that thing that I also had a problem with with Ghost of Tsushima, where, um, but the, I thought this game did it better. Where I felt like during the first, I played the game on hard mode. First of all. After the the mm. first 30 hours of the game was incredibly challenging, but the last 10 hours I was so overpowered by that point that mm. it was kind of a cakewalk. But those mm. first 30 hours, everything was really challenging. Um, the game uh, has a really satisfying combat system that reminded me of both Sekiro and Devil May Cry. Mm, it's just nice. very, it has a really satisfying parry system. Like the parry system is That's like. Cool chef's kiss that is rare in an open world game i feel like that's the consistent flaw even going back to skyrim if if open world games like not having good combat so yeah. that's that's good to hear yeah i would say breath of the wild's true that as well mm. yeah it's i was kind of expecting amazing. pretty basic stuff kevin where it's just like basic breath of the wild combat but this is like i'm, I'm making combos i'm combining attacks i'm parrying it's fast <laughs> like it it feels mm. really it feels really good. I was really, really pleasantly surprised. Uh, um, I will say, cool. uh, I will say, like about this game, I was wondering, like, what about this game? Because I feel like I would have felt this way about Ghost of Tsushima, but Ghost of Tsushima only held my interest for about ten hours, and then I was just kind of beelining. Uh, mm-hmm. I think this game held my interest for about twenty-five to thirty hours before I started beelining, and I think the reason why is because. Um, the upgrade loop was just so satisfying. I just wanted to discover all the Greek monsters because the game crams like every Greek monster into this game. It's awesome. So like I was like, mm. I was like, oh, if I go over there, will I find Odysseus or like will I find uh, the Hydra? It was just it just has everything packed in, and I think that sense of exploration ultimately made it more satisfying than uh, than Ghost of Tsushima. Uh, Kevin, were you going to say something? Um. I was going to ask about, um, I was going to ask you about the combat basically and just like how, how was that? Um, but it sounds like, it sounds like it's definitely more engaging. I think of 
Assassin's Creed combat is like pretty fun. Like it's pretty good. I just I wonder how it compares to that. Or I guess is, is it better than The Witcher? Yes. The Witcher, I'm not a fan of. Okay. Yes. The Witcher's bad. Yeah. Yeah. The Witcher's um, more of the Skyrim camp for me. Yeah. The Witcher 3 is more about planning your your battles, where it's like uh, mm. you look at the bestiary and you figure out like, yeah. what it's weak against, what it's. Definitely. But the actual combat sucks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, the, but, but this combat felt really good. I mean, like, it does that thing where, like, if you do your parry perfectly at, like, the perfect moment, it will stun the enemy. And then you can do a counterattack, and it just feels great. I just love it. It's nice. Great. Um, that is cool. It has, yeah, it has a lot going for it. I can't say it's like a great game because there are just some things that help hold it back. Like my biggest criticism of the game, and I said this earlier, but uh, I thought it's one of those game open world games where you think the game is going to end soon. You're hmm. like, it's going to end. Like I've saved every Greek god. Like I, it's going to end. And then it goes on for another seven hours, and it's mm. like, it's like, why? Can you bad pacing? Outstate its welcome, yeah. <laughs> like it really seemed like okay, I'm gonna just fight the final boss, and then it goes on for seven hours, and it's like really unsatisfying. But um, there's so much good there. Uh, the humor is pretty bad for the most part, but it's bad mm. in that early Lucas Art game, like early 2000s Lucas Art game, bad, where it's like kind of charming even though it's bad. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's fun. The art style is definitely not my style. Yeah, I know. Like they're going for like a Western Breath of the Wild, maybe is like, but it's more Western cartoony. I like the Japanese cartoony more. It's just mm. a personal preference, but I, I I don't usually like Western cartoony games. Like Rayman, I don't love the way Rayman Legends looks, even though it's a really fun game. Versus like, I don't know. I can't think of a good Japanese analog to that, but I guess I just don't like Western cartoony games. Maybe that's what it is. Yeah, so sort of Pixar light look. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, that's probably what it is. Sometimes it does do a disservice to it in a way that was that was disappointing um, because uh, some of the monsters look really cool. Where I was like, oh, what a cool like cartoony look of this classic Greek monster. But then there are other times where it's like the cutesy lame version of that monster, and you're like, what? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. Uh, but uh, Aaron, are you interested in this game at all? I am. Uh, our friend Jordan actually really liked it and recommended it, and I was interested in it then. It's funny. I was watching a Digital Foundry like live stream, and like just, the audience was asking John Linneman to play the game. He's like, "You guys want me to play that game? Like, I I don't think I want to play that game, but <laughs> but I want to play that game. Um, it it does look cool. I still have to work through Valhalla, so I've kind of got like a open world. Uh, I got a, meat, a lot of meat on the plate. You know what I'm saying? It feels like a but project, like, uh, doesn't it? <laughs> well, it doesn't feel like a project. Uh, actually, I really like uh, Assassin's Creed Valhalla. I just have uh, been playing another stupid game. But um, mm. like it's mm-hmm. it's pretty good. And, and I, I could even see myself going back and playing Skyrim. But like I want that Breath of the Wild experience of see an item or see, see a place and, and have a little adventure like the discrete adventures, the sort of travel adventures you get from these really well-crafted open-world games. So, if that's what if that's what you're telling me is contained with good combat, then I'm there. Yeah, I'm, I'll also add on top of that. Even though I wasn't the biggest fan of the story, um, there's four worlds in the game. Um, that's it's spoiled right away, so it's not really a spoil spoiler. It's Aphrodite's world, 
um, Athena's world, Hephaestus's world, and Ares' world. And I thought Hephaestus's world in particular had some of the most creative environmental storytelling I've seen in an open world. Like it was pretty incredible what they did with that world in particular. Um, nice. Is it all fiery? Awesome. Well, it's just uh, I don't really want to spoil it, but like they ju- okay. it ju- they just do Turn. some incredibly creative stuff with Hephaestus's world that reminded me of. Um, that Jude Law film from the early 2000s, like The Day of Tomorrow. It was like a throwback to Fritz Lang movies. Um, but yeah, it gave me like heavy Metropolis vibes. Like it was really... Oh, that's cool. Really inspired. Um, also, the storytelling nice. was really eerie. Um, like usually usually in that game, the uh, storytelling is very low stakes, lighthearted. But for that world mm-hmm. in p- particular, it seems like it had like a real sense of sadness and like... Uh, of, of bygone civilization, so to speak, that was really inspired. Hmm. Yeah. That sounds good. It's a really good game, Aaron. I mean, uh, I don't like open world games. I did not really care for Ghost of Tsushima that much. And the fact that I liked this mm. game, I think, is kind of, I guess, a good indicator that it's a good game. Right. No, I was, again, shocked when you were you were talking about how much you like this game in the Discord chat. I was like, what? Is he joking? Is yeah. this a joke? Yeah, yeah. It was. <laughs> you know who sold me on it was a Super Bunny Hop, that YouTuber, mm. um, because mm-hmm. he gave like a glowing, like a very fair but glo- glowing review of it on his YouTube channel. And he doesn't really publish that much. He like does a video every four months. So I'm like, if he yeah, I was just thinking about that guy today. I was like, what the hell happened to Super Bunny Hop? Yeah, yeah. He 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 like made that video. It's like one of like three videos he's he's made in eight months. But it it was like a mm. fairly glowing uh, review of that game. That so like I recommend watching his video um, if you're interested in watching in, in playing this game. Also, it's like I about thirty five. It's about thirty five to forty hours long, doing most of the content. So it's a pretty digestible open world mm-hmm. game. All right. Awesome. Uh, you've also been doing some some ultra hard, interesting Hitman escalations. Can you tell us what a Hitman escalation is? Because I actually think it's the best part of the game. But uh. Sure. So to anyone who's not played Hitman, um, playing the actual Hitman levels and doing the main assassinations are part of the fun. But most of the longevity of that game comes through contracts mode and escalation uh contracts mode is basically um totally fan-made people just kind of say like you got to kill this person in this level and it has this story behind it and you have to kill them with like fiber wire and here are all the stipulations so it's like a fan centric hitman experience escalation mode on the other hand is basically you have a certain like target or a handful of targets that you need to kill but it's done in three tiers the first tier has its own set of stipulations and then like the second tier will be like okay do the same assassination but you have to hide everybody and you can't be filmed and then like the third tier is the hardest one which is where they have like four or five things like okay like you can't fire a gun you have to kill the same targets can't fire a gun can't be filmed hide everybody so it's basically as the word would say, uh, would connote escalation. It's just like this slow escalation of this assassination that you need to do that gets progressively harder and harder. Uh, 
the reason why I want to talk about it is because I think Hitman 3 just released one of the hardest escalations, in my opinion, that they've done so far. And it's this Berlin one that they released at the beginning of March 2021. I believe it's called the Leslie Celebration. Is that what I wrote down? Um, you wrote L-E-S-L. That could be a lot of things. Oh, no. I'm not really sure. Uh, <laughs> I think it's Lesl- called the Lessel. Lessel? Google this. Lessel? The Lessel. It's the uh, Leslie Celebration. Ooh. and Leisurely <laughs> Entertainment Science Industry. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Leisurely Entertainment Science League. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it is. Anyway, I, so I highly, highly recommend playing this Escalation if you're a diehard Hitman fan because... It's straight up like you have to kill four targets in the middle of a discotheque and you have to hide everybody and like nobody could see you do it. It's it's like you I had to do some really creative stuff mm-hmm. <laughs> like like I literally would have like I had like a bunch of coins and I would just like lure like <laughs> I would lure like one of the targets mm. out of the discotheque and kill him in the bathroom like that's how. That's how challenging it is. So you got to cheese. I love the escalations because of exactly what you said. The way that like they give you a target, you do it, and the first time you do it, like that wasn't so hard. And they're like, now you got to do it with the chic costume on and not get spotted. And then it's it just keeps getting crazier and crazier, and it's like really tests your knowledge and creativity at the same time. Um, it, it, and when you get it, when you get that like all complete, it's incredibly satisfying. Oh yeah. It, it, I was going to say it would like this last escalation, at least in my opinion, is kind of like the dark souls of Hitman escalation. Mm. <laughs> it was just so like there was literally a time where there's, I had to kill this guy. His name's Florida man, you know, like flame famous mm. Florida man. And, mm-hmm. uh, like I could not, I did not know how to lure him away. Like I could not figure out how to lure him away from the, di- from the disco floor. So what I did was he walks past the bathroom at one point. And what I did was I like went in the bathroom. I like took out my pistol. I shot the floor so he would notice the bullet impact and go like, what was that noise? And then like Mm -hmm. I killed him really quickly, hit his body. And the moment I hit his body, another NPC walked through the door. It was like a true like I have like a seven second window to do this moment. (laughs) It's Mm. incredible. But uh, that's awesome. Yeah. The Leslie celebration on the Berlin level of Hitman 3. If you're a big Hitman fan. Um, that's probably the hardest escalation I've played yet, at least in the new one. All right, I, I'm gonna need to. I still need to play Hitman Three. I'm like, come on, I, man. I have that. I'm. Uh, it's that hump. I'm just like, I gotta push myself over the hump. Come on, um, man. But yeah, pretty awesome. All right, well, uh, a quick, a quick wow report because apparently that's the thing we do. <laughs> Kevin and I have been playing. <laughs> Nobody agreed World to this except Aaron. <laughs> Nobody. Uh, World Warcraft Retail. We've been playing before. We were playing World Warcraft Classic, which is a version of the game that is very much like it was in 2006. Uh, Retail is the modern version with all of the expansion packs and all of the updates and graphical upgrades and all the bullshit that it's got now. And uh, while I do enjoy it, I have... Um, I have conflicting feelings, though, though ultimately positive. But yeah, Kevin, do you want to say something? Um, about retail? You, um, looked, you looked like you had a thought. I didn't want to deprive you. It's uh, it's fun. I have this take and leave it feeling sometimes with it. Like I'm mm-hmm. like, I could just not do this. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I I know what you mean. It it is it is fun when it's fun. You know. Yeah. It's just I think there's a lot of moments of like stupid crap that I have to do. That's like, why do I have to do this? Why is it designed this way? Why do people like this? Is this a design that is like focus grouped, or is this something that keeps player engagement? Like, why is it designed like this? That's what yeah. I want to know. Yeah. Why do I have to do six hours of crappy questing with just bad, banal gameplay when I should be able to just have on my friends? Like, that's what I thought an MMO was supposed to be. So, yeah. I agree. I mean, at moments, it almost starts to feel like a single-player game. Like, you have to do yeah. this lengthy single-player campaign, which, which you can do cooperatively, but not really more than... You may, I suppose you could do it with a whole group of people, but there's, like, no benefit to doing it with more it's than faster. one or two people. Um, yeah, I guess so. Like, But it's, like, it is weird. Like, because some of the, the missions are, like, do these things that involve mechanics that are only present in that mission. Like, go go pick up some glass or touch a thing. I don't know. It's very strange. Um, it definitely, the thing that's different about WoW Retail is that it, it does feel either at moments like a single player game, like very much like a single player game, or like sort of like a co-op game. Like the thing that I think that, that defines a massively multiplayer game, the sort of necessary condition, is this persistence in a world with a bunch of people interacting with each other who have to continuously interact with each other and lots and lots of people. Um, there's nothing about that in WoW Retail. You don't have to interact with anybody. You don't ever see the same people unless you choose to be in a guild with them. Um, like, whereas when we play WoW Classic, I'll regularly run into the same people and we'll have, you'll know, be like, ah, I remember that time we did this thing. And like, you know, it's like it creates this community of people, whether you like it or not. There's none of that in retail. And it's, Here's an analogy. it's a bummer. WoW Classic is like the old days of playing on a dedicated server. Yeah. In a shooter game where you know the community, everyone's kind of there, they're present. Wow, retail is like the matchmaking Halo console experience of like the modern game now, the modern multiplayer game where you play with a bunch of people you don't know, you don't care about them, you just have to do the thing and then it's over, right? That's how right. That, that's it feels like it's d disconnected. Yeah, like the that's, people that's don't a good matter. analogy. And you know what I, I'm realizing as you make this analogy that it's getting to the point where like people who played regularly on dedicated <coughs> servers are old and like lots of people like Orn, did you ever play shooters on a dedicated server where you had to like type in the ip address or whatever or connect to the specific server and you went to that server every time you played the game uh no but my earliest memory of playing multiplayer games is playing the original gears of war and mm. the whole host advantage and bullet lag that was right that was that was terrible but yeah <laughs> That's so like matchmaking, yeah. A quick a quick tangent. Like it used to be the case, particularly in I guess PC shooters, you had to connect to a server. So servers would have like an identity and like kind of a culture and you would go there. It's yep. kind of like your neighborhood bar. You'd go to the server and you'd play Quake or whatever and you would see the same old people and you you would get to know each other and make friends and you guys would get on, you know, the TeamSpeak, which was like Discord back then. And um and there was a real sense of community that like is just as soon as Xbox started this matchmaking thing just vanished completely and it's like you, other people no longer had a lot of value in, in the interactions you had with other people were just were just disincentivized and it, it does it really did change the way uh, people interact with it uh, I can't remember what's the name of uh, this video there's a really great video about this I think it's called payload races and give me a second I'll look it up but Kevin you have some thoughts the, but on this topic like 
I've thought about Aaron and I always argue about like why why versus games are better or worse than single player games. And really it's a stupid argument because they're two different things. It's like apples and oranges. Uh, but single player what games we, are better. Single <laughs> All the way. What what it what it, I think after us arguing about it for a long time I realized like that for me was the point where I really didn't play versus games as much is when I got to mm-hmm. the matchmaking world because it didn't feel like I was playing with my friends or rivals. It felt like I was just playing with some random people who are just trying to do whatever they can to win. And it just it felt like it just felt like there was more shit, more toxicity. Um, it Definitely. just wasn't something yeah. that I really enjoyed as much. Um, and it, it it's more frustrating. It's like it's highly frustrating. And I actually feel that is a problem too, even in a co- cooperative sense, because people have no real sense to be cooperative other than for their own self gain. So it's it's really like it's just playing with people you know. I guess is the broader idea is much more fun for me than playing with people I don't know. Uh, yeah, I completely agree. The video I was talking about is by Aaron Signal. It's called Social Spaces and Payload Races. And he's talking about TF2 and Overwatch and the, the difference, the way that Overwatch kind of changed how the community aspects that, that I guess are probably no longer even existent in TF2. Mm. Um, but yeah, there was something to like having to like having like a reputation. Like you came in with the same name. You wouldn't want to be a dick because people would know who you were. You could get banned. Um, like mm-hmm. it really incentivized cooperative, friendly, good behavior. Whereas this matchmaking and like incentivizing people to up their own stats or their own gear, both in WoW and other games, like people just play like assholes because they're only in it for themselves. Their gain is the only incentive that they have. Um, yeah. It's a bummer. Yeah. It is a bummer. Do you guys ever play Gears 5 and there's that one guy on the team who always just goes solo and just goes straight into the fire and just dies like instantly over and over, over, and, over. Yeah. and over yeah. yes. and you're like Soft like this me, this but... guy this guy <laughs> this guy thinks he's being the hero but he has like a KD that's awful and he's ruining the team like <laughs> we're losing yeah. because this guy sucks he's he, feeding them kills <laughs> he's yeah. just feeding them yeah. kills <laughs> cuz he's playing it like a single player game um yeah yeah definitely definitely been there so I don't know. I don't have a lot more to say about that now, but I, I do think uh, good, good pull, well, good, good analogy there, Kevin. I, I like that, and definitely, I say watch the video, Aaron Signals video, social spaces and payload races, to get an idea of how how things used to be different and how maybe they could be different again in the future. I don't know. Uh, and that's going to bring us to a discussion about Borderlands Three and Outriders and how much looter shooters suck. No, wait, what? That's is that it? Am I wrong? Am I trolling? You're not wrong. You're not wrong. I'm not wrong. That's a classic Aaron Aaron quip. So <laughs> that is an Aaron quip right there. That's an Aaron line right there. <laughs> You're not wrong, Kevin. You're not wrong. Or Kevin. I'll let you open up with Borderlands. How about it? Um, sure. Um, I like Borderlands 3. I think it's a good game. Um, I'm playing through it the second time for a second time on my Xbox Series S. I played it for the first time last year. And it's one of those games where, it, to me, it's like the ultimate podcast game. I just turn my brain off listen to a podcast, mm. shoot some stuff, find some cool guns, do some quests. Um, the open world design isn't super overwhelming. Um, it's, it's, just, it's just like a nice, streamlined, single-player looter shooter experience that doesn't require... Like uh, Honestly, I was talking to my dad today, and we talked for like an hour to catch up. And uh, I did. I I like was playing the game so mechanically that I had done like four quests 
during that time period that I was talking with him. It's like that kind of game. You don't really need to pay attention to it. Um, mm. And I like it. I mean, it's not the kind of game that I'd be like, oh, 2019's game of the year. It's like, yeah. it's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. It's like Destiny yeah, for sure. 2 for people who don't like Destiny 2 or don't like uh, the live service aspect of looter shooters. It's just like a straight 30-hour yeah, looter shooter experience with it. Oh, there's like a finite end. Yeah. It ends, yeah. It ends. Ah. Orleans is so, like so, a game. So, so this might be a nice contrast to Outriders, and I'm just going to talk a little bit more about Borderlands 3 because the reason why I like Borderlands 3 and why I think it's better than most looter shooters is that it's fi- a finite experience. It's, mm-hmm. it's it's 30 hours. You feel like you're always getting good loot. You feel like you're always getting good weapons. You always feel powerful. Um, like, it, it, it's just it's that consistently for 30 hours. And it sounds and like... Then you, and then you finish. And then you finish yeah. and move on. Like, like when I finished uh, Borderlands 3 for the first time, I felt like I finished a giant steak dinner. It's like, it's over time to move hmm. on and it's like right. it sounds like that's not what outriders is and i'm gonna shift it over to kevin to because you've been playing some outriders right yeah i played outriders for about i think five or six hours of the demo the demo ended so i didn't want to like keep playing it apparently people are min maxing the demo and already managed to find a way to farm some of the best gear you can get from <laughs> the demo which i think is amazing but um, fuck the internet man fuck yeah. the internet like i fucking hate that shit yeah um, so Outriders is a third person, uh, cover based, um, I get a looter shooter by people can fly. People can fly used to be called Epic Poland. Um, they made, hmm. um, what did they make? What's the game? Painkiller. They made painkiller. That was their first game. Oh, and painkiller oh, is one of the games with a, a really good in bullet storm. It has a really good game feel. Uh, they also made a gears game as well, um, which shows heavily in Outriders, which is partly is why I want to try it. Judgment, yep. Yeah, okay. Um, so I started it, and I've been playing it, and when I first played it, I was like, this looks like Mass Effect. Like, the visual <laughs> design of the characters reminds me of Mass Effect, and it has this, like, the story itself has, like, the right amount of, like, heavy-handed earnestness mixed with Eurojank for me just to get on board. Like, I kind of like the slightly janky kind of, like, silly cutscenes, but they're, like, still earnest enough to keep mm-hmm. me, like, not it's not just totally bullshit. So, like, that element I really like about it so far. Um, I think the combat feels really good. Like, I just want it to be out. I already bought it. Like, I put the demo for five hours and I bought the game. Because I want to play. I'm going to definitely play it. on Steam? It's on Steam, yeah. Um, they're not sure, they said, if it's going to be a service game or not. Which is interesting. So, like, so they're like it is going to be a service game. Confirmed, I think they, <laughs> I think if it's not a probably, flop, right? so apparently they were developing it and Square picked it up. So, it Square, probably depends okay. on if Square wants them to make it a service game, depending on how successful it is or not. Um, but currently it's just going to be a single player verse slash co- three player co-op game that's you can play through like Borderlands okay. um, but the combat itself feels really good for a looter shooter I think it plays way more fun than Destiny or Borderlands Borderlands I only played the first and second game but it felt like you have like a hose that you just kind of hold on the enemy until they eventually die is that I'm not sure that's accurate with Borderlands Bullet 3. sponges, yeah. But it, it felt like the guns didn't really feel like guns. The enemies just have a lot of health, and they just take a ton of damage. It doesn't, like, you know, in comparison to, like, Wolfenstein, where you shoot a guy, and he, like, falls back, and they have, like, an animation that plays, and it feels very, like, like reactive and kinetic. I felt like leader shooters don't feel that way, because it's much more about, like, how your gear is. But um, Outriders feels closer to, like, I don't know. It feels almost like a uh, like a, like an a, like a like a 
traditional spectacle fighter at times too because you have these cooldown abilities but they're like super crazy like they'll be like you'll like fly up in the air and like come down and like hit a bunch of guys and make a big aoe attack or something i just felt like the uh, special attacks were way more i don't know fun to use than um other shooters and all of the classes gain health by killing things which is clearly a doom influence like modern doom like eternal or the other game so like i've been really liking that um and also the boss fights remind me a lot of playing a wow instance like the like the first boss you fight will cast healing light and he has like a little cast bar and you have to like use interrupt on him to stop him from doing it otherwise he'll keep healing himself and his team so all that on top of like shooty combat so I don't know. I, I, it's weird because like this is the exact thing I criticized Doom Eternal for. So mm. maybe I like the implementation of it more in this game. I don't know. But I actually think the game feels really fun to play. Like It's a leader show that I just really like playing. I'm not just playing it because I want to get better items, but because I think it's actually just super engaging. Like I, like I think the combat, moment-to-moment combat is fun. And the other thing I want to mention is it's super gory. Like When you shoot mm. him with a the shotgun, they like rip in half. Compared to like Destiny's... Like, you know, PG thirteen, like they disintegrate into ash or just PG. dust or we'll just say PG. PG. Yeah, it's so nice to feel like a game that's like not a looter shooter. I guess that's not like I don't know. It feels like an epic mm-hmm. game. It feels like a weighty like epic shooter. When I say epic, it doesn't I mean, like, look like company. a Marvel movie. Like I feel like that's no. that's the visual style of so many games, including World of Warcraft, Modern World of yeah. Warcraft. Is this this very Pixar-y Marvel looking like more modern Marvel? I would say. I don't. I'm trying to like think. Does it? I don't think it does. Doesn't from the, what I'm seeing, but yeah. It, it reminds me more of Mass Effect visually. So far, that's at cool. Least. So JJ, Abrams. how does it? Yeah, maybe. That could be. <laughs> kind of yeah, or, or with a little bit of Blade Runner ish, maybe old school or no. not too old school. Which Mass Effect are we talking about? Because I think there's a big. This is a. Uh, two. I don't want to. I don't want to hijack, but yeah. Okay. Yeah, I don't. I don't yeah. associate Blade Runner with Mass Effect. It's not something. Did you play the original game? I played all three I of think them. The... I don't think they have. Blade Runner at all? No. The original game has like a Blade Runner-y Star Trek. It's kind of like Star Blade Trek, Runner meets Star Trek. I definitely um, get Star Trek. I do not get Blade Runner. Go listen to the soundtrack right now. You'll know what I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> hmm. okay. The music but, is definitely. But, well, but so here's a question about this game. How yeah. like my problem with looter shooters is twofold. One, as you alluded to, the enemies feel like you're just shooting them forever, which often makes the combat feel non-responsive. Yeah. Um, the other problem is that I just don't love gear in my shooting games. Same. I don't, I don't love gear in my action games so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, I tend to, particularly shooting games, but, but to even a lesser extent, action games. We've talked about this with, with Ubisoft games being a little too frequent with the gear upgrades. Um, I, yeah, I just find it makes, it just kind of puts me off. Like something about it just makes me feel like, okay, well, it's not about my fucking ability to headshot somebody, then get the fuck out of here. It also um, feels like the enemies are designed to just be shredded through for your gear. Like mm-hmm. if you're playing Fear or Half Life, the enemies mm-hmm. feel smart and they have they have a sense of at least somewhat believable yeah. survivability, and they're trying to kill you, hunt you down. Whereas right. like Destiny, the enemies are like literally wow auto attack enemy. They just run at you and you shoot them and they die. Right. Borderlands, is, uh, I don't know. Maybe I, from I only put the first game and the second game, so I'm like I haven't played three, so I yeah. can't speak to that. But it's kind of the same thing. I, Outriders did not feel that way. We were constantly getting flanked by the enemies. They're always in cover. It felt like like you still rip through them for sure. You mm. still feel like a super powered person, but like they felt like they were at least trying to like kill me, and like they had some AI that was More somewhat dynamic, reactive. Huh? Yeah, that's a big part of it too. I think. Yeah, one thing I'll say about Borderlands 3, it's not like a game that I would 
die on a hill for. It's, I'm kind of like at an eight out of ten with it. Um, yeah. It's like uh, what I like about it the most is that when it comes to the weapon upgrades, I think the I think the reason why Borderlands Three works is because the upgrades that you get are the weapons, and every weapon feels totally unique. Um, I don't know, yeah. Aaron, if you know that about Borderlands, how it works. Um, it's been, I played the original Borderlands in 2008, so it's been a long time. So, so the, uh, the weapons in Borderlands 3 are randomly generated. So like mm-hmm. they all have That's unique right. uh, secondary fire and u- unique look. Um, they're totally randomly generated. So that's kind of part of the fun is that every gun feels and sounds and plays differently mm-hmm. with different stats. Right. And I think that's why Borderlands 3 is fun because I'm always changing guns. I'm always having fun experimenting, finding new mm-hmm. guns. That's kind of that's kind of the appeal of that game. As for mm-hmm. the gun feel, I think um, it still has a little bit of the bullet sponginess, but I think Borderlands 3 works because you can stun enemies now. So, like, if you shoot them in the head, you see, like, an impact symbol and they, like, kind of, like, fall back a little bit. Or if you shoot them point blank with a shotgun, even if you only knock off, like, 20% of their health bar, they'll, like, fly back and then yep, have to get right. back up. That so, I saw in 3 when smart. I played it for a very briefly demo. And I was very impressed by that, the fact that they fly back. Because that yeah. gives you that yeah. kinetic reaction feel that I think is so important to a right. shooting game. Yeah. Yeah, it's not I mean, like Doom Eternal did a good job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, sorry. I was just gonna yeah. s- with that with the body parts flying off and stuff. Definitely. Yeah, it's not like Half-Life 2 where when you shoot a guy in the head with the pistol, he doesn't even react and you just see the blood like spill out of him or like the first Gears of War like you can actually even though there that there's still a health bar, there's still a, a sense of impact that's really nice. So, it's a That is nice. It, it's a good game. I mean, it's not like again, I'm I'm not going to go to bat uh, for it too much because the story is like terrible the humor is terrible but the actual gameplay loop is satisfying enough for for it to hold my attention cool it's something cool. that i think it'd be probably fun to play with your friends too right like if you yeah. had well, a group of people to play it with well that's that's part of what i like about borderlands 3 as well is that um whenever i tried playing destiny 2 like if I wasn't playing with somebody, I'd feel like I'm missing out. Like it's like the kind mm. of game that you kind of have to play with other people. I feel like, or just other yeah. looter shooters. Borderlands three feels like a game that you could totally play as a single player game and just zone out to a podcast. And it totally feels like a justified way to play that game. Um, yeah, that is cool. So it's, right. it's pretty neat. I, I like it. It's good, good, good game. Cool. All right. Well, there you go. Looter shooters. Nobody should ever play them. Uh, I think we've just we've solved it. I, I feel yeah. I feel like we the just talked I, good. We just talked very positively about two looter yeah. shooters and no. I, I, the I, thing I want to say about too about the genre is it's interesting if you look at the developers for them. Gearbox. They made a Half Life expansion pack. Uh, people can fly. They made you know they made old school shooters too. It's weird how the 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 shift right now this trend seems to really yeah. be going towards. These, these you know RPG implemented games like even Doom Eternal is not an RPG game but like it has RPG mechanics it's got those you know it's what, got, are, you, what, what are the RPG mechanics the 
Oh, the, there were so the many upgrades. Blood Punch, the... Yeah, it's got upgrades too, but That's the true. Blood Punch, yeah. the yeah. Fire Belch, all of those yeah. are RPG mechanics. Like a, like an ability that you have on a cooldown that you use is totally RPG. I don't know if that's an RPG. I guess I, I, I'm curious if that would be, if, if that should be considered an RPG, RPG mechanic. Or not. It definitely I mean, it's, upgrade it's totally like a MOBA or... Um, yeah, you know, but a MOBA's not an RPG, right? It's got RPG mechanics. It was I mean, built off of... like Maybe it's, I'm it's, getting too conceptual here, but... Yeah, that's that's a, I guess that's a question worth thinking about. That's it, but I see what you're saying. Like it definitely had the, the upgrade stuff. I think, I think it's just so sticky to make these little dopamine chains that are like really quick, because it, it's it because it gives you the quick little rewards all the time. It increases the pace. It's kind of something that like I think games these days are obsessed with with like keeping your attention in a way that they're sort of like like a needy partner, you know what I mean? <laughs> Sometimes, and like these little dopamine chains are kind of a way of them being like, hey, come come here, come on, come on, come on, stay with me, stay with me, stay with me. Sure. Um, yeah. I think, but, mm-hmm. I, I just think that it seems like there's definitely a trend of, that Doom Eternal doesn't do, but is like giving the player items. Like virtual yeah. goods are so popular now. Skins right. and games, you know, Counter-Strike, you get your glove skins. You know, everyone oh, likes these are, virtual currencies. So these, these like, you know, games are always getting new items. Like there's always, you're getting new things constantly. Ooh, new items, new things, new things. Whereas mm-hmm. an, like an older style game, you don't really get new things. You replenish your resources and you kill things. So it seems or you get like new things, but at a much slower pace and they're not, they're, they're, Maybe they're a bigger it, deal. It's not. Um, it's not the same way at all. Yeah, it's totally different yeah. style. It's weird. There's like there's like a tendency towards like encouraging people to be consumers in the game. It's kind of like mm-hmm. like a weird. Do echo you think of if like they had released general, buy more Borderlands get, get more stuff. or or Outriders in the '90s, like would people have just gone apeshit on that, or would it have not? Pro- I you mean, think it would have Diablo been... right is kind of the closest analog. Yeah. People went apeshit over Diablo. Yeah. I remember like back in the day people would be like I got Diablo and I spent the whole weekend just playing it. So Diablo though and WoW both have very toned down mm. gameplay in terms of the inputs are very right. much more chill. But like looter shooters are like hitbox yeah. action games, you know? So it's like they're really it's they're really trying to mix the two. Yeah, well, I mean, it's like you know, the weed of the 1960s was mild by today's. By you know, is it, is it the same sort of thing? It's just like people's tolerances get higher, and they need yeah. a stronger and stronger fix. Because I, I do feel like, to some extent, and I think this is maybe true of all games, but to some extent, these games are engaging with our psychology in uh, specific ways that that are, that are maybe a little habit forming. You you know what I think I would like to see with first person shooters is kind of a, a return to Halo 3's gameplay design um, where the choice doesn't come through the upgrades it just comes through how the level is laid out um, mm. I think that would be really neat where you don't have an upgrade system but there's a scorpion tank over there there's like mm-hmm. a couple of SMGs yeah. over here there's a sniper and you can right. just kind of tackle it three or four or five or six different ways like I think that would tactical be tactical choices that would yeah. be really nice I love that I, I don't think I've I feel like the closest I've played to that is probably the recent Gears 5 DLC maybe, but even then like it would be nice to have a game do that instead of resorting to cuz cuz yeah, one of my biggest problems with Doom Eternal, even though I did like that game is the upgrades. It just felt over-designed in the upgrading mm-hmm. where I felt like I was chasing upgrades for the first 7 hours of that of that game. So Yeah. 
It would be nice. It actually plays terribly when you're not upgraded too. Doom Eternal sucks when you have no upgrades. Oh yeah. It's like the beginning yeah. of the, like, even, the first. You don't even have the double dash. I don't think you have the double dash, Dude, right? Ugh. I like. I hated that game in the first couple hours. Like I didn't. Mm. I really did not like how it played. I remember that. Yeah. I, I guess Doom 2016 also had a similar upgrade thing that I felt was even less well implemented because it was just like just need to keep upgrading your gun so it's a little bit better. But um, but. but but Doom, mm. Doom 2016 did implement an arcade mode, and that is mm, the way to play yeah. it. That is absolutely okay. That that eliminates the gun uh, progression. Yeah, progression, it just yeah. It, it, it just upgrade. makes it just makes the game a straight shooter. You don't have to. I didn't feel like uh, Eternal or with 16. It ever was like. It felt so significant, though. It wasn't like Eternal. Or, like Eternal, you cheesing. die in like a second if you don't upgrade your health. Like you are dead yeah, yeah, immediately. Yeah, this is true. Um, but I, I do remember like cheesing enemies so that I could get my because you had to do basically like achievement like things to get the final yeah. upgrade to like the super shotgun and stuff. And I remember doing some cheesy shit because I really wanted that. So and, and like stuff that I wouldn't have done if I was just playing the game. They're just like, here's a fucking shotgun, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would also yeah. I also want to jump in and say, you know what game does what I want FPS games to do is is Hitman. Hitman does what I mm. want want them to do because Hitman. All of the choice comes in the environment. Like, I mean, there's like a couple of uh, upgrades that you can bring with you. Like, if you want to bring poison, or if you want to bring like a machine gun or a sniper, like you can do that. But a lot of the stuff relies on your knowledge of the level. Like knowing, like, okay, there's uh, there's uh, rat poison in that pantry on the second level of this building that I'm going to use to poison this person, or mm-hmm. you know, like, yeah, yeah, like the immersive sim style, yeah. Like Prey maybe would be the closest to that, maybe. Yeah, maybe. It's like Prey had upgrades though. I mean, Prey had like trees, uh, but you know, it felt more of a like an RPG game, and it was much less about the shooting. I didn't even shoot that much in that game, so yeah. Yeah, I shotgunned a lot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I did. I did shotgun a lot. Prey, uh, now it's on. Get to play it on your Xbox. Sixty FPS. Wait, actually. Four K. No way. Yep. They, yeah, they boosted it. They boosted it? It's awesome. Mm-hmm. Fuck. I might have to download it now. Yeah. Yeah, Prey. I mean, <laughs> Prey is stuff, man. one of my favorite games. Um, I know it's not for everybody, but, man, that game spoke to my soul. Uh, okay. I think we have to move on because we we're we going over, but I think good conversation. Uh, let's talk about our personal recs. Uh, I'll go first. I have been watching Star Trek, The Next Generation. Um, <laughs> That's quite I, a rec. I know. Quite a pull. Uh, it's I gotta say, like I haven't watched it in about a decade. I grew up watching it. I think probably a lot of people grew up watching it. I think that it holds up very well with a few caveats, and it does a few things that I think uh, modern, like I don't I haven't seen the modern Star Treks, but you just except for the movies, like you don't really see anything like it. Like it has like a very slow, deliberate pace that kind of feels really good, um, but like. It's still it's great. The performances, for the most part, are excellent. Patrick Stewart, like Jesus Christ, was there ever a better person? Like like a more perfectly cast role. Like he just is Picard. Mm-hmm. Um, is. I haven't seen the he new Picard, Picard show, so I, I can't comment on that. But God, he's so good. You Data, know what he said uh, when they cast what him? What did he say? He said, "Why? How could you have a bald guy in the future? Right. This doesn't even make sense." And Gene Roddenberry said, "In the future, no one will care." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, 
it, he, but yeah, Patrick Stewart is incredible. Uh, Brett Spiner, I want to say his name is, who plays yeah, Data, Spiner. is so good. Data is such a good character. Uh, mm-hmm. There's an episode, The Measure of Man, where Data goes on trial and has to sort of defend his humanity. And he gives a really quick analogy about understanding the rules of playing poker and then the experience of playing poker that is like like an even better distillation of the philosophical thought experiment, the Mary experiment, which is about a color scientist who studies red but never sees red till her 18th birthday. Um, great episode. Like, I'm really enjoying it. I do recommend that if you want to watch it because there's so many episodes and because the first two seasons have some real stinkers, find a Reddit guide or an episode guide that tells you gives you an idea of what to watch and you can kind of pick and choose from there um because there's a there's definitely some episodes you can skip but like i have been enjoying it It, it's so good and there's like nothing like it it's kind of sad that like i feel like anything that's sci-fi now is so much more like action-packed there's always like a controversy and like there's just too much drama and like it's so fast-paced whereas like this is much slower and deliberate and like cerebral and thoughtful it's 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 really enjoyable to me, it's like probably the best aspects of Mass, Mass Effect, right? The kind of more low stakes sci-fi exploration and mm-hmm. storytelling. Like that's what. Right. That's probably I think the that that show thing, right? is one of the best like non-serialized shows I've seen that has like every episode is its own thing, and it does mm-hmm. it really well. They always, not always, but they usually have something that's very compelling. Like, oh, I want to see what's going to happen in this episode. Right. Uh, and and they do have some light threads that constantly build throughout the series yeah. they come back to like you know you meet the Borg and then that becomes like part of plots but yeah the the, ep- the sort of episodic um, procedural nature is is really well done um, it's it's just it's so good and it's aged so well with the few expect like the few caveats is that some of these you know special effects in these sets especially in the first two seasons like every time they go down to a planet it's clearly like a a warehouse with some fake trees up and stuff and it looks like horseshit uh and some of the alien makeup is just like this guy has a disease on his face what's that's is that an alien uh <laughs> other than that though performances are so strong so the writing is is on the, at least on the good episodes which is most of them after the third season or starting with the third season really really good some uh it's just good science fiction for sure, I haven't watched the whole sh- the whole show, but um, I I also did that kind of Reddit thing where um, a friend of mine and I like we just watched like forty or fifty episodes just based on Reddit, and we were like pretty, mm. we were like ah, Rick and Morty I guess isn't the best sci-fi show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> did um did just a quick question? Did Ron Moore write for Next Gen, or did he only do the ne- uh, the other show? It's the best story. Ever. This is literally like the best story in the history of like fucking behind baseball or whatever, you know, the uh, Hollywood stuff. Ron Moore went to like a taping with a script in hand and like handed it to somebody, Ronald D. Moore, who made uh, Battlestar Galactica. Battlestar, uh, he's yeah. making For All Mankind. He's made a few other shows. And he made uh, Star Trek uh, Deep Space Nine. He was the showrunner for that. So he hands a script during, I think it's the second season. And uh, that script sits in somebody's office for a few months. And then they read it and they're like, holy shit, this is really good. And they hand it to the producer who contacts Ron Moore and then he gets invited to become a writer on the show and then takes over, I think, from the fourth season and becomes the showrunner. Ah, oh, um, okay. That's <laughs> so so cool. like, like, it's like one of those ridiculous scenarios that you would, you know, you would see in a movie but it would never happen in real life. But here it is. Did happening. they use that script for an episode? They did. Uh, I don't know the nice. name of the episode, but it's one of the season three episodes. Very nice. That's really yeah. cool. Hmm. Nice. So, uh, 
All right. Uh, Oren, what do you got for us? Uh, well, I've been catching up on a lot of the award seasons hype movies, which I kind of said to mm. myself that I would not do this year, but I'm doing it because I'm bored. It's a pandemic going on. Might as well watch a bunch of Oscar babe movies. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple of them are really good. Uh, there's this Italian one that really impressed me that's on Amazon Prime right now called Martin Eden. It's an Italian film based on the Jack London novel. And it's interesting because Jack London wrote his Martin Eden novel as an indictment of uh, individualism. Like, you know, that kind of Jordan Peterson type of person who's like, uh, you know, complaining about communists, but also is like, oh, like you pave your own way in society. It has nothing to do with these greater systems. Right. Pick yourself up by the bootstraps. Exactly. That whole ideology. So the, the movie is this Italian version of that. That's just an indictment of this man who believes in this concept of fierce individualism and uh not being taxed um there's even like a reference to being like uh like 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 i want to be one of those pure aryan bloods who who paved the way and society's trying to bring them down so it's very like pre-fascist kind of ideology but i thought it was a really good movie i was really uh it's called martin eden it's very Mm -hmm. uh, the filmmaking is also just great like it kind of reminded me of Paul Thomas Anderson's uh, later films, like The Master. It has like that sumptuous uh, 16 millimeter cinematography it's, that's hyper saturated. It's really, mm. it's really nice. It's a really good movie. So Martin Eden, that's my first rec- recommendation. If you want something a little bit more lighthearted, I watched this uh, Korean American film called Minari. And it's kind of like this classic John Steinbeck tale of a family, of an immigrant family trying to survive in 1980s America. Um, that was actually pretty good. It was pretty good. Um, I also watched Nomadland, which I did not like, but um, I'll throw that recommendation out there because it just won Best Picture at the Golden Globes. Um, mm. But... Um, it was okay. I mean, you guys should watch it and make your own opinions, but uh, it wasn't uh, it wasn't my favorite movie. But anyway, I'll leave it at that. All right, uh, Martin Eden and Minari. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I'll definitely check out Martin Eden. That sounds good. Kevin, I got a bunch of question marks here. Did you put that? Question marks? No. no. I think you put I, that. I, I put that. Yeah. Looks like true. you edited that <laughs> in right now, actually. So. Look at the history on this. The audit check records definitely show error. Uh, what is your what's your what's your rec for the week, my, my friend? My recommendation uh, of the week is the album Chromatica by Lady Gaga. Ooh, what? Lady yeah. Gaga. Lady who, Gaga. Who yeah. Have, I, is, is this so because I, of the inauguration? You saw her singing for Biden. You said <laughs> no. I didn't see. I got a. <laughs> but um, uh, I listened to a lot of um, synthwave, which is like '80s influenced electronic music, and uh, her new album is like all synthwave, and I was like wow, this is fantastic. It's like really, really good stuff. Hmm. Um, I really like her. I mean, I, obviously she's a pop singer, so her, she's a really talented singer, but mm-hmm. um, the whole album, I really like it. I was like, wow, this is really good. Um, this, I think the non-singles are actually better than the singles, mm. but it, it's interesting to look at how, I'm not someone who listens to pop, like big pop usually, I'm more other extreme metal and other stuff, but um it's interesting to see how they write this stuff because like she'll have like she writes everything but she also has co-writers for all of her songs 
Mm-hmm. So I think that's that's, that's interesting because like bands you just say like it's by the band <laughs> or it's by the guitar player or right. it's by this one person. But she, she worked with like Skrillex on a song, which <laughs> doesn't sound like a dubstep song at all. Yeah. But um, yeah, I actually really like this album a lot. Uh, I recommend it. Check cool. it out. Did you guys see that? Is did you guys see that uh, photo trending on Twitter of Lady Gaga and Adam Driver at like the ski resort? Yeah, I was <laughs> jealous. I, I wanted to go wherever the fuck that was. It was just like such like an image of posh that I haven't seen circulated on social media in a while. It's just yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, 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 what's the name of the album again? Chroma Chromatica. Chromatica. Okay, yeah. cool. Lady Gaga Chromatica. Uh, I'll check stuff. that out. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. That is, that was a long ass podcast, uh, but good shit. Yeah. Uh, Madden, as always, we love you. And uh, we'll be back. Madden uh, the, writes Synthwave. There you go. See? Oh, yeah. Our yeah, theme yeah. song is like Synthwave. Yeah. Right. Madden's awesome. We love you, Madden. Madden's awesome. Um, uh, Ma- check out Madden. Madden's work reminds me of uh, what's that guy's name? Like Cliff Martinez, who's the guy who did who did the Drive soundtrack? Well, the Chromatics. Like that's what he reminds oh, yeah. me of. He reminds me of that mm-hmm. song from Drive, uh, the, by the mm-hmm. Chromatics. It's really good stuff. I love it. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, the Resident Evil podcast will be out a couple days after this, so check your feed and we'll be back uh, a week after that with a regularly scheduled content peace